Welcome back to Cargumentative, your number one automotive podcast on which we chat to you about, uh, well, you know, cars, automotive news, views, opinions, uh, all that jazz, and we don't mean the car. Uh, I'm your host, Thomas Faulkner from the Sunday Times, and as usual, I'm joined in the virtual studio this week by Dennis Dropper from Business Day Motor News and Brenwin Naidu from Sweat and Motoring and Sunday Times Motoring. Guys, how are you doing? Let's start with you, Dennis. I'm all good, my side. Thank you very much, Thomas. Uh, driving a lot of vehicles lately and uh, getting on with the motoring game. Yeah, Dennis, it looks like you've been busy, huh? Been out and about, been driving a lot of cars. There's been quite a few local launches, which has been interesting. Uh, I thought things were starting to calm down, but every day uh, I go on to Motor Press or, or Quick Pick and there's a another press release for another new car or updated car. What have you been driving? Apart from all the virtual launches, there's the occasional flight down to Cape Town. Yeah. And last week I flew to Cape Town with the Honda for the launch of the new Ballard. Okay. So, uh, yeah, this circuitous, circuitous path to become mm. the Ballard of today. If you recall, it was launched first in 1982 as the car that introduced South Africans to the Honda brand. But along the way, it was renamed the Civic when it became ever larger and and better equipped. Then they reintroduced the Ballard name a few years back, but as a cheaper car selling under the likes of the Civic and Corolla and Jetta, etc. But now what they've done with this latest Ballard, because it's grown in size, they've decided to pitch it a bit more upmarket. So it no longer sells as a rival to things like the VW Polo sedan or Toyota Corolla Quest. Now it goes directly up against the new generation Corolla and even against its own stablemate, the Honda Civic. And I think this might be a problem for the Ballard because uh, I'm not sure whether they can necessarily price it in that market segment. It's a spacious car indeed. It's it's a lot larger than a Polo sedan, but uh, its its biggest problem is the Toyota Corolla Quest, which is the same size as the Ballard, but sells for substantially less money. And I'll give you those prices. So the Ballard sells between 336,000 up to 396,000 Rand, whereas the Corolla Quest sells from 262,000 to 334,000. So, so the cheapest, also the most expensive Quest is still cheaper than the, than the cheapest Ballard. So, yeah, that's a, it's, it's a bold move by Honda to try and move up a segment with this Ballard. That is certainly reasonably well specified. It's got all the mod cons with ABS brakes and stability control, six airbags, a standard, electric windows, cruise control, etc. But then apart from the apart from the move up a segment, Honda's done a very curious thing and called its uh, flagship Ballard model an RS. Now, any petrol head will know that an RS badge, especially a red one, as is found on this Ballard, belongs on a car like a Porsche GT3 or perhaps a Ford Focus RS. In this case, it endows a car with a humble 1500cc normally aspirated petrol engine and a CVT gearbox. Now, I know that Brenwin was on, on the launch as well, and uh, I'm wondering what he, is to, <laughs> what he has to think about an RS badge on a 1500cc car. Maybe the <laughs> RS stands for, for ride-sharing. 
Yeah. <laughs> Good one, Thomas. Putting it off. Uh, well, I mean, Dennis, I, you know, I was on the launch as well, and Honda claims that the RS in this case stands for road sailing, referencing the uh, the comfort and uh, plushness of the ride. And I think, uh, Dennis, you're quite right. Uh, the RS in this case is a great misnomer. And I think if there's one thing we learned from uh, from the year 2020 is that the RS moniker has just been violated. I mean, you had Toyota uh, calling the Toyota Hilux on RS because it had a roller shutter tonneau cover. I mean, we need to leave this RS acronym alone, uh, manufacturers, please. I'm with you there, yeah. definitely. But also the pricing just seems, uh, it seems very high. Um, and I mean, you know, it's kind of rivaling the, uh, the new Corolla as well, which, which I think is a tough car to beat in this segment. Um, Correct. And you, you know, you've got a, a much bigger and wider dealer network. You've got better resale value, and I think the Corolla just looks better as a car over the Ballard. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it might be a tough sell for them. It might be a tough sell. Moving away from uh, Honda and Toyota, Brenwin, let's uh, let's chat about Renault. They've they've launched something new. Yes, Thomas. Uh, well, one of the items of news that piqued my interest relates to the Renault Quid, which is cheap, maybe, but not exactly cheerful, and that is largely to do with its poor safety credentials. But still, that has not stopped uh, the South African arm of the brand uh, from selling as many as 30,000 examples of the vehicle since it was introduced in 2016. And now there is a limited edition version of this uh, second generation model that they launched last year. It is called the Quid Ultra Limited Edition and 100 will be made. So basically, it's the Quid you know and probably don't love but with a lick of uh, two-tone paint and 14-inch diamond-cut alloys. It costs 174,900 Rand, but uh, just a reminder to our listeners out there that the base quid goes for 162,000 Rand. Is it something that I can recommend? Um, sadly, no. My sentiments uh, towards the, the Renault quid, and I can speak for all of us here when I say this, uh, remains the same. And at this price point, I'd say uh, shoppers, Go out there and find yourself a slightly pre-owned B-segment hatchback or similar with better levels of occupant protection. Yeah, I totally, I, uh, I totally agree with you there, Brenman. Um, it's, um, it's just not a car that I could recommend, um, especially when you could pick up something secondhand. I mean, you could probably get a, a one-year-old app, a VW app. Uh, I know you can't buy those new anymore, uh, no longer on the Volkswagen website, but uh, that would make a, a really good secondhand buy uh, for probably the same amount of money, possibly less, depending on what model it is. And you're getting a car that's just a lot safer, you know, just complete chalk and cheese. So, yeah, I totally agree with you on that one. Uh, and I'm sure Dennis does as well. Yeah, Thomas, I do. Uh, obviously, the, the issue of uh, crash safety is, is in the spotlight, especially with the recent crash test of, of the Suzuki Espresso. Uh, which has been a bit of a talking point uh, on social media and regular media <laughs> this week. Yeah. Um, just to put our listeners in the picture in case they've missed all the hullabaloo, it's, uh, the car achieved uh, zero stars in the crash test in the global NCAP tests. Now, to be fair, Suzuki South Africa has pointed out that this wasn't exactly the same car 
as as they said in South Africa, because our car is fitted with a passenger airbag in addition to a driver's airbag. And the Indian version has only a driver's airbag. And the South African version also has seatbelt pretensioners, which are also absent from the Indian version that was crashed. However, the NCAP test people did say that the actual structure of the car was an issue. So even if it had been fitted with the above-mentioned items, we're not sure whether that car would have achieved uh, more than one star or perhaps two stars. So looks as crash safety is in the spotlight. And as motoring journalists, we keep trying to put the, bring this point home that, uh, you know, there, there's certainly a lot out there that is safe so that you don't have to necessarily spend your money on something that has uh, less than exemplary safety. Well, that's the point. You know, I think uh, from our side, the only thing we can do is educate people and make them aware to the fact that uh, a lot of these 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 new cheap entry level cars, um, are, you know, they they aren't going to be safe if you have a bad crash, um, and they might have a touchscreen infotainment system and Apple CarPlay and Andrew Andrew. Android Auto, I'm saying Andrew again, uh, don't know why. Um, but the fact remains, yeah, that, that they, they are not safe and there are alternatives out there on the second-hand market that they could get, you know, for the same amount of money, maybe less, that are going to give them and their passengers more protection in the event of an accident. And, uh, you know, I think we can only drive that home to, to people out there. And as you said, I mean... Um, the local version of the espresso might have seatbelt pretensioners and it might have an extra airbag. But at the end of the day, um, as Global NCAP pointed out, the shell is unstable and not capable of withstanding any further loadings at the, at the speed that the vehicle was crash tested. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a scandalous week. We've had a lot of uh, people uh, writing in. We've had some manufacturers writing in so yeah it's a contentious issue but uh moving away from suzuki dennis i know we've got time we've got a little bit more time left here and you wanted to chat to uh, to us about um, a new mini yes now this is a mini that's not so much mini anymore this is a concept car that's basically a mini morphed into an mpv so it's for now it's just a computer generated mock-up so we don't know how realistically it's, it's going to end up as, as a production car. But it's basically a lounge on wheels that offers more creative use of space. So the, the concept is 4.46 meters long, which is 163 millimeters longer than even the Countryman, which is Mini's largest current production car. So once again, I'm not sure if you can call it a Mini anymore with a straight face. It's still vaguely recognizable as a Mini from its round lights, and it's, uh, and it's grill shape. But from there on, the Vision Urbanaut, as it's called, takes a big detour from the styling heritage, and it's got an MPV-style monobox design. But the whole purpose of the exercise was the clever use of space. And so the interior space of the car can be used in many different ways. And, and you can create a lounge-like atmosphere in the car with, with the front seats that swivel around so that the passengers... Front passenger, front occupants and rear occupants can face each other. Obviously, this is envisaged as a car that's eventually going to be able to drive itself. And the interior can transform into a living room and, and with the, with the 
table and even a plant on the table and a day bed. So, yeah, it's interesting what motor manufacturers are coming up with, but I'm not sure necessarily that many should have been the one to come up with this particular concept because it, it really strays from the path of what a mini was originally conceptualized as, which was simple and small. Well, yeah, I mean, I was also going to say, you know, um, they've, 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 they've long prided themselves on sort of go-kart handling and fun and driver involvement. And now we are we're going very much uh, in the opposite direction of uh, a lounge on wheels with a pot plant in the corner, which is just, I don't know, it's bizarre. But I guess it's what, what people want uh, and how things are going to be, you know, sort of going in the next couple of years um, and decade. Uh, people focusing on autonomous cars, self-driving cars, um, electric cars, and more and more, um, you know, the whole concept of a of a fun car that you actually drive yourself is is possibly going to be phased out, which is which is kind of sad. Well, I do, I do it, hope they don't phase out the regular minis, and that we'll still have the normal cart-like uh, fun to drive minis, and that if this lounge on wheels ever does materialize. It'll just be an additional model and, and not replacing the existing minis. Exactly. Maybe they can call it something like the Mini Maxi Lounge or, or something like that to that effect. <laughs> uh, time will tell. Uh, guys, we've got to wrap up. Brenwin, is there anything else you want to squeeze in before we, uh, we cut to commercial break? Yes. Well, um, I just want to talk about some of the cars that I will be driving in the, well, in the coming week. Uh, we've got the new Volkswagen T-Rock, uh, much anticipated followed by the BMW M2 CS, and lastly, something new and affordable, but rather weird-looking from Toyota. Mm, okay, well, something to, to look forward to there. Um, I'd like to hear what you think of that, uh, of that CS, after you've had a chance to drive it. Uh, Dennis, what are you driving? Anything special lined up? Uh, actually, I've, uh, I have a Ford Torneo, connect that I'm taking away for the weekend on a long road trip. So I'm quite looking oh, nice. forward to that. I, I like these big oversized combis with, with space for everything. But when you when you pack it, you don't have to play tech. You just chuck stuff in and it all fits. Yeah, that's fantastic. I remember I had one uh, a couple of years ago. I, th I think it was the Tonya Connect. And uh, I was still in a band back then. And it was just fantastic. You could throw amps and drums and people and stuff and, you know, it's just so cool to have all that space um, at hand. So, yeah, nice. Well, uh, guys, that's it. Um, we are out of time, and we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to speak to a special guest. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. Join me, Nicole Engelbrecht, your host on True Crime South Africa, a weekly podcast that covers both solved and unsolved South African true crime cases. Welcome back to Cargumentative. In this segment of the show, we're joined in the virtual studio by Auto Trader CEO, George Mini. George, once again, thanks for finding oh, you, the time to join us. You're most welcome, and thanks for inviting me back. You know, when you get invited back a second time, it means you, you didn't do a bad job the first time. So, uh, so you know, I'm kind of like 
I was sweating until you invited me back. I thought to myself, uh, sure, that was just in the nick of time. <laughs> well, not at all. I mean, uh, you were great to have on the show. I think it, I think we chatted last. Sure, I think it was still lockdown or yeah, uh, or the final throws of you know. So yeah. um, it has been a while, and uh, it's always uh, promising um, to have guests join us again. You know, uh, it means the show is not that bad. So yeah. yeah. Brilliant. I listened, I listened back to it, and as a matter of fact, I became a subscriber. So, oh, really? Uh, okay. Yes. Well, that's, that's, that's excellent news, and uh, thanks for clicking the subscribe and or like button. Now, George, um, you've been keeping yourself busy with something called the Hypermobility Virtual Conference, and uh, I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about this unique event and uh, what it's set out to achieve. Um, well, Thomas, I mean, uh, the first thing to say is probably, um, you know, whether it's common knowledge or not, I'm not sure, it's probably becoming common knowledge. The South African motor industry um, contributes north of 7% to South Africa's GDP. I mean, I think it's an order of magnitude of two to three times that because I don't think that all of the used car and uh, a lot of the services to the industry are, are counted in that 7%. Um, but, you know, let's let's go for 7% for now. It's a big chunk of the South African GDP. And, uh, um, and the conference was about the extensive plans for major investment in the future. And, and and how we navigate the path and um, and this was you know was this open mobility 2020 conference as you pointed out and uh, um, and run by um, or put on by Misa Frankfurt in conjunction with Namsa and uh, in association with with Auto Trader we uh, were the head uh, sponsor of the uh, of the event and um, it was really a red letter day for everybody in the industry that's involved in you know in any way shape or form um, from vehicle component manufacturers to aftermarket suppliers buyers uh, to OEMs and uh, um, it's ultimately the largest automotive digital conference for the industry um, in South Africa so you know and coming out of the conference was uh, uh, you know signs of potential radical change. Absolutely and I mean I also noticed that the conference seemed to highlight a sea change in consumer behavior during the various stages of uh, COVID inflicted lockdown particularly where the buying and selling of cars is concerned. Um, what key behavioral shifts stand out for you? Well, you know, if I look at uh, our data, um, you know, AutoTrader tracks almost everything. And um, the one thing we missed was the consumer reacted immediately and um, and and reacted in unpredictable ways. And uh, to give you a couple of those examples, I mean, there's many of them. And, uh, you know, we'd have to have an entire show dedicated to to all of the all of the data that we saw. And it was just it was overwhelming. Um, but an example is um, armored car searches um, increased by tenfold um, versus pre-lockdown. So when we started to come out of lockdown, so level three to uh, uh, you know and into level one, we saw a tenfold increase in searches for uh, for armored cars. And you know you can only imagine. Perhaps, and I'm guessing, yeah, uh, consumers had gotten used to the lower crime rate during lockdown. I mean, we were with our families, we were in our houses, and uh, and the crime rates dropped as well. But as we came out of lockdown, crime rates started to go up again. And uh, you know, is that a sign that uh, that consumers are more concerned about their um, their safety? than ever before um, and also the economic turmoil you know a lot of people have lost their jobs uh, had pay cuts and um, you know is uh, uh, is the consumer scared of 
crime increasing increasing even further. A second trend we saw was uh, um, van or bucky sales, and 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 I put it into the category of van because you know uh, not only bucky but uh, you know things like panel vans. We saw a sharp increase in the searches for both big and small vans at the end of April into the beginning of May. Now, you ask yourself, well, why April and May? It wasn't lockdown that caused it. It was actually uh, President Sorum Mopoza's announcement that food delivery services and other delivery services were going to uh, um, open up. And uh, it showed us that South African consumers are resilient and they reacted immediately to an opportunity to open up potential delivery businesses. Um, and then a third trend that we saw, three or four, is uh, um, people became insomniacs during this time. For instance, uh, searches between 11 p.m. at night and 3 a.m. in the morning increased by 20% as we entered lockdown. And if we narrowed that down to between 1 and 2 a.m., uh, we saw a 78% increase in uh, in searches on Autotrader. As a matter of fact, um, uh, searches in those early hours of the morning superseded, uh, so searches at about midnight onwards, superseded searches at 9 a.m. during a regular day, which is which is absolutely incredible. People people turned into they they couldn't sleep, and you can you can just imagine it's, it's worry. I need to sell my car. I need to potentially downgrade. I need to free up cash. I need to change my car. Um, you know, oh, I've got the time. Uh, um, and uh, and people started uh, really really searching for cars at odd hours. And then the final trend that we saw was um, the industry or car dealers starting to take action around uh, this concept called automotive digital retailing, which is, you know, a fancy word for saying I need to digitize the consumer shopping journey even more than it's been uh, digitized up to now. It's almost compressed that digital retailing um, uh, world where we would have gone down that road, but now we're going down that road a lot quicker. Um, you mentioned the whole step up to to you know some digital dealerships and stuff like that is that is that something that you guys are finding that secondhand car dealerships are starting to explore more i mean is this is this a trend where people with dealerships will now go out to clients and maybe not hold a great deal of stock on the floor but kind of act as like a, a middleman uh, between the seller and the buyer well, um, you know, dealerships dealerships are definitely taking the bull by the horns here. So, you know, what we're talking about is spending less time inside the dealership and more time uh, in a uh, you know safer social distance environment, which is you know oftentimes in your in your lounge on your laptop or on your phone or on your uh, tablet. So uh, definitely, there there are. Um, some dealerships who 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 started to um, deliver cars to consumers go and take the car to the consumer to do a test drive, and they continue to do that. Um, you know, traditional dealership model, whether used or new, is going to go away anytime soon because you know a car purchase is a is a big ticket item. You 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 want to be able to test drive it. You want to be able to touch and feel it before you buy it. I mean, you would never go. And, a house before you you know took a walk through it so so it's a big ticket item and uh, but dealerships have taken it seriously so so what they've tried to do is did that journey so that the consumer only has to come to the dealership um, to experience the car and rather do the most of the paperwork in space um, uh, and then as I said some dealers have taken it to uh, more of an extreme um, and a positive extreme where uh, you know the consumer uh, they go to the consumer as opposed to the other way around Okay. Now, George, let's talk about Generation Z. Now, before the pandemic hit, 
this was a demographic that showed little interest in cars. Um, you know, they weren't necessarily on their radar. They were more interested in tech um, and the latest iPhone or, you know, Samsung Galaxy. But after the pandemic, this, this seemed to change. And I was wondering if you had some insights into this quite unique and interesting demographic mind shift yeah i definitely thomas i mean um you know you, you, like just to kind of the backstory of the generation z which is the 18 to 24 year olds and uh, you know i didn't know these in my head it's only during lockdown that uh, you know i kind of got my head around okay well, what age group is generation z because we're seeing a shift here um but uh, uh, you know pre-lockdown we had the scenario developing with uh, shared mobility so uh, the the likes of Uber, Lyft, um, and uh, you know the the, the ride hailing services, and everybody was talking about car sharing and ride sharing in the future, and you know not having to own a car in the future, um, and and that was the world that we thought we were going towards, um, and the data clearly shows a shift from shared mobility to personal mobility. And, uh, you know, a couple of things that, that uh, um, personal mobility means. Firstly, you're safe. Inside your car, you're, uh, uh, you're safe inside an airplane and inside a shared uh, taxi, for instance. You know, the last time, next time you get inside and uh, get into an, an Uber or Lyft or a taxi, you know, who is sat in that seat? And uh, while these the, the the drivers and the and the companies do the, the sanitization procedures and, and they're doing a good job of it, you know, a human beings' mind is still very much kind of concerned. You know, did did the person that uh, that sat here before have COVID or not? Um, and uh, there was a threefold increase in searches by people between the ages of eighteen to twenty-four. It's a three hundred percent increase. And uh, and so we looked further afield. Um, you know, in the UK, other countries, and the UK had a doubling of searches. Um, um, by people between the ages of 18 to 24. So there's definitely this this shift in Generation Z um, to personal mobility, which which again is good for our automotive industry because uh, you know we 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 might have had a rapidly changing set of business models, and we we might get back there. Who knows? But for now, Generation Z is definitely preferring owning a car to to sharing a car. I'd like to move us along to electric cars quickly, um, if I may. How does the general South African motoring public perceive them? Um, I know you guys were chatting about this during uh, the hypermobility uh, conference. And um, yeah, I wanted to know, do, does the general South African public seem keen on them? Um, do they want to embrace them or do they kind of view them as an expensive fad? Well, if you'd asked me this question 12 months ago, uh, Thomas, I would have said to you, that's probably, you know, a couple of years out and we're going to be forced by Europe. So so the consumer is going to be forced. Uh, that's what I would have said. Um, you know, they, 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 we've got more petrol heads than uh, than, than, than electric um, enthusiasts in South Africa. When we did a survey um, uh, across 3,000, uh, just over 3,200 consumers, car buyers in the market to buy a car today. <clears throat> Excuse me, and um, and across those three thousand two hundred car buyers, you can go to reports.autotrader.co.za to download it for free if you like. Um, a few key things came out. First of all, we were very surprised that sixty eight percent of the South African uh, consumer surveyed wants to or is open to buying e an EV in the near future. Now you might think to yourself, well, what is an EV in the near in the near future? Well, eighteen to fifty four year olds are likely to buy an EV in 
the next five years. Um, but if we look at consumers that uh, are in the older age bracket or the age bracket that uh, have more disposable income, um, they're looking to buy EVs in less than three years, which was very surprising. Well, you know, and in terms of the 68% of consumers that are open to buying an EV in the near future, um, we were surprised to find out that that st particular statistic is actually higher than uh, a lot of other first world countries in Europe. Um, and uh, uh, so you ask yourself, well, then what is the perfect EV? And uh, our survey also brought out, you know, what the perfect EV looks like. And uh, perfect EV is a car under 500,000 Rand, uh, can charge within 12 hours at your home um, and can do a range of 500 kilometers. So it's interesting to note, though, that there are no under 500,000 Rand EVs in South Africa. So then it kind of leads us to the, the question, well, you know, is that the barrier to entry? Because um, the cheapest, cheapest, I don't like the word cheapest, but the, 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 the least uh, costly um, EV in the market at the moment, you, you, you probably know, is the Mini SE at 642,000 Rand. Um, and uh, uh, consumers clearly voted in this particular buyer survey that uh, they, they would um, potentially mass adopt at under 500,000 Rand. So now you've got to ask yourself, well, how do we get to under 500,000 Rand? Drop the taxes. And taxes on EVs are ridiculously high, 25%. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. You know, electric cars do work. Uh, I mean, I've obviously had them on test. I've had the Jaguar I-Pace. I've had the Nissan Leaf when that was still available here. And from a day-to-day -day transport solution um, in a city like Johannesburg, they absolutely do work. But as you mentioned, the barrier is, is the price. I mean, these cars are, they're not cheap. Um, and they're not within the reach of entry-level buyers. Yeah. who might be uh, keen to buy something like a, a Datsun Go or a Quid. So I think, I think until we get to that stage where we're getting these, these, these cheaper, more affordable electric cars, you know, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a hard sell here. And that kind of brings me on to my next question. When do you think electric cars will start to take traction in the local marketplace? Well, um, I mean, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come to price. Okay, in in the near future. So within the next five years, uh, and we're sitting at 2020 at the moment. Um, you know, within the next five years, it's going to come down to price. Mass adoption uh, uh, has to, the the price has to be addressed in order for that to happen from a consumer driven point of view. So uh, you know, we can look at it a couple of ways. And uh, uh, you know, if we just talk about charging infrastructure for a second, there are charges in the country. You can you don't have to go more than about 200 kilometers on a major highway, and you will find a charger. You know, charge uh, charge capacity distribution is also not an issue because um, because you have to have a lifestyle change. And uh, uh, you know, back to, back in the days when we rode horses, we didn't destination feed our horses. Um, we went to a filling. St we 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 fed our horses at uh, at home. And uh, today we're used to going to a filling station we we drive our cars from full absolutely empty so so i think two things need to happen in order for consumer adoption to take place and to to answer your question is when do we see traction so so if, if in the next you know 12 24 36 months uh, uh the two things are addressed that i think are the elephants in the room um one being the price and it's very possible to get under five hundred thousand rand you know there is a market for the jaguar i-pace and uh you know at over a million rand i'm not saying there isn't a market there but for mass adoption we've got to get under five hundred thousand rand and the way to do that is to address the tax uh, um uh, uh the tax regulation um, bring the uh, the taxes down to zero for a while uh, number one number two address company car tax incentivize companies to give company cars to 
to employees that um, uh, uh, that are electric, um, have no company car tax, um, reduce parking fees. You know, if you live in Cape Town, the parking fees in the in the centre of Cape Town is uh, is horrendous. You know, reduce. So there's lots we can do um, to address consumer. Uh, demand. Um, but uh, it, let, let's say for a second we don't do that. And then to answer your question under that particular um, scenario, if we don't address consumer demand, uh, when do I think electric cars will start to take traction? Well, 2035 onwards. And why? Because we're going to be forced to. Um, we're going to potentially decimate our automotive industry because uh, Europe won't accept our ICE vehicles anymore. Seven percent of our GDP is uh, is automotive, and a large proportion of that is exported. Um, I think fifty percent of that, as as a matter of fact, is an ex- export. Um, uh, uh, Europe won't accept our our, our ICE vehicles anymore. So uh, so we will be forced as that adoption curve steepens. We'll be forced to adopt electric cars. Um, so uh, uh, so so so. You know, to answer your question, in the in the short term, uh, in the next three to five years, consumers quite clearly want EVs. Uh, if we don't address the price and the and the consumer behaviour in terms of uh, lifestyle um, with charging, um, and uh, and we wait for the, uh, the EV to be forced on us, then it's going to be twenty thirty five onwards. Hmm. Now um, you touched on manufacturing there, um, overseas markets are obviously adopting electric vehicles at a much quicker rate, with many countries announcing that, will, that they will actually ban the selling of new diesel and petrol-powered cars um, as early as 2030. Now, surely this will have dire consequences for our local motoring industry, as we currently build and export cars to these markets. So how do you see this situation playing out? I mean, do you think um, manufacturers will start retooling our factories to build in, um, electric vehicles? Or do you think manufacturers might actually say, well, you know what, guys, it's, it's been real. We've had a good run here in South Africa, and actually we, we, we don't need to go on. I mean, you know, these are some, some, some quite hardcore questions that we have to answer here. Yes. Um, so let me paint the dire situation first, because we don't have to go down that road. So the, the you know the the dire consequence that you speak of in your question is we're currently a net exporter of of of, of vehicles. Um, you know, so we we manufacture and export more than we actually locally consume, which is very good for the South African economy. We need more of that. So I'm hoping that uh, we retool. And uh, I think we, we, we stand a high chance of actually making that transition. Uh, it's, it's just too much of our GDP to lose. So um, if we lose that big chunk of our GDP and become a net importer or a 100% importer, for instance, okay, which means that we're sending South African rands into overseas countries. We're not bringing uh, uh, you know, strong uh, first world country currencies into South Africa. We need to be a net, net exporter. Um, if we go down that particular road, um, we run the risk of becoming another Australia when it, becomes to, when it comes to the automotive industry. If you just look at Australia as a case study, they gave up their manufacturing for imports and they don't have an automotive industry like we have and their economy doesn't have the contribution to the GDP like we have and uh, and and I don't think that was the right thing to do 
um, you know, it, uh, it, it, is, it is a really good job creator, uh, income creator, and, and, uh, um, and make South Africa a better, stronger country the more we manufacture. Yeah, buy local is what I say. I totally agree with you. Yeah. So I guess we just have to hold thumbs and hope uh, that it plays out for the better. George, we're running out of time. Just to wrap up, what can we expect from 2021 um, in terms of automotive trends? And how do you see the new car market stacking up against the secondhand market? So, I mean, um, I, I don't like doing predictions, uh, Thomas, but uh, I'm going to give you my kind of perception. Um, and the reason I don't like doing predictions is because just look at what happened in March. Uh, you know, if you came out of 2019 and said to me that we would be all stuck in our homes for for 10 months of 2020, um, I'd tell you you're off your mind. You know, you've gone a bit loopy, Thomas. You're crazy. So, uh, so predicting the future is uh, um, is hard, and 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 I think I think COVID has taught us that. So I don't like doing that. However. Um, given the current state of the economy, the effects that COVID has had on our economy and having been locked down and, and a large proportion of our consumers losing their jobs, losing income and lots of businesses closing, we have to rebuild that. That doesn't take months. So I think the used car market is still going to be buoyant for the next uh, next year, 2021. A new car is going to still be under pressure. Um, but I'm hoping that we find ways to stimulate it, like the electric car scenario, because we all have to agree that the used car market is fed by the new car market. And without a buoyant new car market, we run the risk of an aging fleet in South Africa. So, you know, this automotive industry in the next 12, 24, 36 uh, months is ours to lose. Yeah, well, let's let's wait and see. It's definitely going to be a, a watershed year, I think. Um, a lot to gain and a lot to lose. So, yeah, let's see what happens. George, we're out of time, but thanks again for joining us in the virtual studio. It's always fascinating to hear your insights. And, yeah, we hope to get you on the show again maybe next year. You're most welcome, Thomas, and uh, you know, thank you for having me. Uh, Cogumentative is uh, is a great podcast, and uh, I'm a subscriber now, so uh, uh, you know I'll be uh, I'll be listening to your shows in the future, and uh, you know hopefully we we do the right thing. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, we hope to get you back in uh, in 2021. Uh, and if I yeah, if we don't speak again, hope you have a good uh, festive season stay out of trouble and uh, yeah, you know keep it safe on the road I'll definitely try thanks Thomas appreciate that sure that was Auto Trader CEO George Meany and folks that's it for this episode we are out of time hope you enjoyed it and I hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of Cargumentative 